Hello, I'm your host, Ray Dogum, and welcome to Vibecast. Thank you for joining us as we explore the exciting advancements in technology-enabled collaboration to excel important drug development. VibeBio seeks to find every cure for every community. We think big as no one should be left behind in the pursuit of living a healthy, happy, and productive life, free from disease. Collectively, we have the skills, we have the technology, and we have the passion. We now need the community catalyst to bring it all together. That's Vibe. We see a future where communities of biopharma experts and patients collaborate to identify high potential medicines and have the ability to access capital on demand to actually develop them. The Vibecast is our weekly informational podcast where we explore some of the hottest topics in drug development and technology innovation with some of the dynamic people that make up the Vibe community. Join us to learn, imagine, question, and help us identify and develop solutions together. Our guests today are co-founders of Onkilis, Dr. Lev Becker and Mr. Court Turner. Welcome to the show, guys. Can you uh, please tell the community a little, bit, a little bit about yourselves and your backgrounds and what brought you here today? And we can start with uh, Dr. Becker. Uh, thanks, Ray, and uh, thanks so much for having us here today. Uh, I'm, I'm Lev. I'm a professor at University of Chicago, uh, where my lab studies uh, innate immune mechanisms uh, that either contribute to or oppose disease. And as we identify mechanisms, we try to focus on therapeutically tractable pathways that we can then perhaps spin out companies to start developing therapeutics to impact public health. Uh, prior to being at University of Chicago, I did my postdoc at University of Washington and my graduate studies in Canada at, at Queen's University. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. Yeah, Court Turner. So I'm a longtime San Diego biotech resident. Um, I think now 26 years I've been involved in early stage to late stage development for, for new drugs, tools, and sequencing companies. And I'm also a local venture capitalist. And Onkilis is one example where I've made friends with a scientific genius like Lev, and we put our two different sets of skills together. Mine, I'm a lawyer by background and a transactions person to build the company based on some very important discoveries to hopefully impact uh, patients' lives going forward. Fantastic. And we're going to get into those discoveries uh, in this episode today. So really excited to be speaking with both of you. Uh, so maybe we can get started diving a little bit deeper into the story in which uh, you guys found each other and how that happened. Um, yeah, feel free to start. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I've done over the years is I when I'm in a particular city, I will stop on a university campus of, of note and University of Chicago was the situation in this case. And I wanted to meet some of the up and coming professors that might be, you know, the next generation of uh, sources of discovery for new biotech companies. And so I had a chance uh, to meet Lev, who had been working on a number of things and we became friends, worked on a project together. And then one day he called me and said, I think I may have found something. And he walked me through it. And maybe, Lev, you might want to talk about what you thought you found and the story you initially told me that got me very excited. Yeah. So, you know, at the time, it was still very early days, but we had discovered that um, a specific immune cell called a neutrophil uh, released molecules with some pretty amazing properties. These molecules could kill cancer cells independent of their genetics. And at the same doses, when we treated non-cancer cells, um, there was just very little toxicity observed to them. It was still very early days. We didn't, actually didn't even know what in this extract was had this property, but we knew it, it seemed at least the highest level 
it was pretty important for us to, to figure it out. And I remember him telling me, and I said, well, if you can figure out what's in that extract or basically that soup of the guts of these neutrophils that's killing cancer cells and not killing non-cancer cells, I think we've got something. As long as it's one thing and it's not 500 things doing those things. And eventually he figured out and published in Cell that there was a single molecule that is responsible for being able to kill any form of cancer and not kill normal cells uh, in the same way. And I'm sure that paper took a lot of many, many years of research and uh, diligence and work to get there. Um, and I know we have some slides you wanted to share as well, but maybe before we get into that as well, um, do you think, you know, that story is a common one? Do you think a lot of biotech founders and companies get started in the same way? Or what's your take on that? I mean, I can, I can speak from my experience and Lev's been involved in other opportunities, but you know, over the last number of years, you always find scientific founders. Everybody thinks their idea is a great idea. Of course, it's kind of like your first or second born, like I have the best child. And so when you meet these scientific uh, founders, you're like, look what I discovered. And the part that I come in is I have to filter it through. We eventually have to go to the FDA and then see if we can get the FDA to say, okay, this is something we can put into people to treat particular diseases. And so there's sometimes there's great ideas, either the personalities don't mix or the technology doesn't mix with a regulated environment such as drug discovery. But it is personality first. Lev and I got along very well from the very beginning. So it was very clear, regardless of the discovery, we would be able to, to work together. So I think in my experience and some of the companies I've founded before, it starts with a friendship and then this kind of kinship around the technology. And then my job as, a, as an investor and, um, and uh, co-founder is to make sure that I, I keep it on the path that, that, in this case, Lev wanted it to be. What do you think, Lev? No, I think that's a hundred percent right. You know, on my end, Ray, I never go into projects thinking I'm trying to make some, you know, therapeutically tractable discovery. We're just trying to understand how our bodies work or or don't work, uh, depending on the condition. And you know, when it just so happens that what we find makes sense from a therapeutic perspective, uh, that's when we start moving forward. But of course, I had no experience in that whatsoever. And so meeting someone who's so capable and so talented at taking academic discoveries and turning them into companies that impact public health, such as what Court does, was just it was, it was just a great match. And, uh, you know, as, as Court mentioned, we've been great friends and colleagues ever since. That's fantastic. I appreciate that story. And thanks for sharing the details behind the, the you know, origins there. So I just wanted to present the slides that you guys have shared with me today. Um, so first slide here. Uh, would you guys like to take it? Maybe, yeah. Uh, so I think I'll start here and then I'll let Lev talk through the relevance of, of neutrophils and so on. So there's been different, you know, arcs and stories and in, in ways that the industry has tried to tackle cancer. You know, cancer is, is now a disease of diseases or diseases of a disease. And so there's been these focuses on precision approaches to try and treat very specific forms of cancer. And I think there's been a move now, and I think that's what Achilles is focused on is what would be an ideal cancer drug? What is one where, and you look at these three that we've identified is you need something that can kill the cancer cells directly and potently. And then in that case, if, if you're not killing the non-cancer cells, you have the opportunity to mobilize the immune system. And so it's almost like bringing two concepts together, chemotherapy that kills things, but unfortunately it kills everything. And separately, immuno-oncology, where you're trying to activate the immune system to get the immune system to also fight the cancer. 
And so I think in our case, what we're trying to develop the Onkili's products to do is not only potently kill the cancer cells, but also mobilize the immune system so you get this robust clinical response. And just like in bacterial infections or viral infections, just in cancer, everyone's aware there's also resistance. Over time, cancer can mutate and then become resistant to the cancer. And so what we've also tried to show, and we have plenty of data in, in the company itself that we're unable at this point to generate resistance against our drug. And so, you know, right now we're obviously in a preclinical stage. The company is focused on uh, testing in humans early next year for its lead product. And one of the things we'll look at, of course, is one, can we kill the cancer cells directly? Two, can we kill distant tumors by mobilizing the immune system in these patients? And then separately, can we dose these patients multiple times showing that there's not resistance? The preclinical data tells us we should have a good chance to do that. And part of that reason is really the source of this molecule that we've worked on. And Lev, maybe you might want to talk about neutrophils in general and, and why that, that kind of makes sense in terms of feeding into an ideal cancer drug. Right. So, you know, neutrophils are part of uh, the innate uh, immune um, system in our bodies. And, uh, you know, that's uh, different from the adaptive immune system where you can think about T cells that have been really leveraged to try to develop uh, new cancer therapies around. The big difference about neutrophils is that they're the first line of defense and they don't really need to recognize what type of cancer cell it is or you know, what the genetic mutations are. And that's how the innate immune system functions. It protects us not only against cancer, but also against parasites, bacteria, viruses. And so the idea that we could find something that's able to kill cancer cells, irrespective of their genetic abnormalities, uh, really kind of makes sense given where we found it, which is in, in, the, in, the, in the, the system in our bodies that's evolved over many, many long periods of time in order to have this property. And if you, if you go forward one slide, I can kind of walk you through the mechanism that we worked on, worked out and published on in Cell back in 2021. And I'm just gonna start with this cartoon on the right with the green membrane, this is the cell. And uh, the first thing that happens is that neutrophil elastase, which is the active enzyme, it enters the cell. And the, the enzyme is the Pac-Man in this cartoon here. Then upon entry into the cell, that enzyme is able to cleave a specific receptor called CD95, and it liberates this DD or death domain containing component of that protein. That death domain falls off now and interacts with histone H1, which is really high in cancer cells. And then this complex sets off a series of events within cancer cells that really eliminates them efficiently and quickly. It induces DNA damage. It su suppresses survival signals. It causes mitochondrial dysfunction, and it increases the effectors of apoptosis or cell death. And what we observed is that when this combination of events happens, it happens in cancer cells, but not non-cancer cells. And so when we are in the primary tumor, we see the cancer cells getting killed off almost within 24 hours of injection of the molecule. But because we're preserving those immune cells, they kind of get reminded that there's something foreign here and they get activated to give a secondary response that can, can occur in the primary tumor as well as in the distal metastasis. And so in this way, 
you have one agent that's selectively killing cancer cells, but also inducing adaptive immunity to reinforce that first wave of therapeutic efficacy. Very interesting. And, you know, forgive me for not knowing all the details in this, but I do have some questions regarding, um, is this the mechanism by which the body currently sort of eliminates mutated cells or events? Because, you know, we all have, you know, cells that do mutate, but our immune system, like you mentioned, kind of resolves that. And is this one mechanism in which it does that, that you've discovered? That's, that's what, that's how we think about it. Of course, you know, there'd be a lot more experiments needed to, to prove that this is the, the first sort of one of the first primordial mechanisms by which that takes place. But, you know, I think the idea that this is able to kill cancer cells, irrespective of their genetics, really does kind of speak to this being one of the perhaps components of the first line of defense against cancer. And the fact that it doesn't hurt the healthy cells. I, I think right. that's really great. Very promising. Yeah, I, I may make one comment also. I mean, the the Pac-Man itself, the it's in a class of enzymes or of these proteins that that has particular activity. And so this concept that of what we call neutrophil elastase coming from neutrophils and its ability to kill different forms of cancer it's not reserved just to neutrophil elastase. There's an elastase that's also in T cells on the adaptive side of the, of the system called granzyme that also has a similar capability, but it, it needs more information in order to do that. And so what we're discovering, is, as I think most people know, is the body is always in this constant effort for balance. And, and so you have these enzymes in different systems to deal when things are out of whack. And in this case, what Lev discovered is that when, when, you know, these are released, not only are they released sometimes to kill other types of cells, but the ability for it to kill cancer cells was, wasn't discovered until this point. And the fact that Lev, I think he mentioned in the beginning, discovered these originally in ovarian cancer patients. So this isn't something that he discovered in mice in the hope to try and translate it into a human story. This was something that he originally found in humans. Right. So um, I know the uh, name of the drug, I think it's N17350 for right now. Uh, so how does that work to mobilize the Elaine mediated pathway, I think, uh, which ultimately leads, like you said, to cancer cell death? Did you discuss that? Or is that sort of different? It goes through the same mechanism. So what we did is we took uh, neutrophil elastase as a model. And because neutrophil elastase is good for what it does in the body, but it's not good for delivering as a drug. And so we had to modify it and to make a different version of it so it would be um, a better molecule for delivering as a drug in humans. And it goes back to my comment about the need for the body to be in constant balance. Neutrophil elastase is in a class of proteases where there are protease inhibitors in the body to make sure if there's too much protease, it sends an inhibitor to bring it back into balance. And so that, that uh, phenomenon could be a, a negative for developing a drug. So we had to modify the protein in order for it to maintain the characteristics of its ability to kill cancer cells, not non-cancer cells, but to be able to be delivered and be effective in initially, of course, um, uh, preclinical rodent models, and then eventually into humans. But it works to the exact same mechanism here. So it, it ticks off one, two, three, and four, the same way neutrophil elastase does in our bodies, but we had to modify it in order to make it uh, more viable as a drug. How confident are you in the in vitro results? Uh, and will it translate to human clinical trials? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So maybe you can go to the next slide. 
So I think, you know, there's, there's two points as, and as court briefly mentioned, you know, we discovered this from patients and, 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 and human donors. And the other thing that we've done is we've also, this is within Onkili now, um, Onkili has, has taken N17350 and tested it on freshly isolated cancer cells from ovarian cancer patients, as well as non-cancer cells from the same patients. And so you can see in blue here are the cancer cells with N17350 able to kill those cancer cells within 24 hours from isolation from the body. And then there's a sort of a, a sampling of all sorts of different types of non-cancer cells shown with that um, discrepancy between toxicity to cancer versus non-cancer. And as controls, you know, they took uh, doxorubicin, oxaliplatin. These are two standard of care chemotherapies. And of course, these are also effective at killing cancer cells, but you can see their efficacy is equal to that of killing the non-cancer cells. So I think, you know, for the, for the reason that we, the whole pathway was discovered in humans, and then now data, you know, that within 24 hours of isolation, we can kill these cancer cells makes us, uh, you know, confident that, that this will translate uh, in, in, into patients. Yeah, and you can clearly see here with the N17350, you have these uh, non-cancerous, uh, the gray and dark blue, I guess, mm -hmm. they're still regenerating. There's no significant deaths. And compared to the other cancer drugs here, um, the difference is quite stark. So that's really impressive. Interesting. And you, and you see that, Ray, when you do even mouse studies as well, whether it's with against a human cancer or a mouse cancer, if you go head to head with these standard of care chemotherapy, you'll see that it can be somewhat effective, not, not as effective as, as 17350. But you can see because they're toxic, the, the rodents will get sick, they'll lose weight, they'll be upset when they're on drug. I mean, they'll, they'll recover depending how long you do the study. But you know, really the goal is, as we talked at the beginning, it's potent, it's a potent killer. But as you see here, if it's not killing the immune cells, you're not having this, this uh, safety issue. And so there's an, obviously a lot of data that tells us one of the other reasons we think it's going to work is that because we're leaving these other cells intact, all the information that's being released by killing these cells, these antigens, is going to be transferred to the adaptive immune response to go off and kill distant tumors in the body. As you, as you know, Ray, uh, most cancer patients, they don't die from the initial tumor. They die from metastases. And so why that second pillar in, in our ideal drug is if you, can't, uh, if you can't mobilize the immune system with that initial killing, then it's going to be very difficult to really treat the patient with what they're likely to die from if not treated, which is metastases. So you mentioned that this is sort of um, cancer agnostic. You can sort of treat many different cancers with this. But I think I read on your website or somewhere that it is uh, focused on myeloid cancers or therapeutics, is that correct? And then if so, um, how are you navigating like a first-in-class myeloid-focused cancer therapeutic? Yeah, so the, the, the forms of the cancers um, are not, um, would not be certainly myeloid-derived. The, the therapeutics are, are inspired from myeloid cells, so either from the innate immune system, either from neutrophils or from macrophages. The company also has a focus on therapeutics that are derived from, from, uh, from macrophages. So the cancers themselves for the for the lead drug um, is agnostic, and so we've tested over sixty different cancer lines in addition to many primary um, tumor lines similar to these ovarian cancers. That tells us that the mechanism is preserved across all the cancer types we've tested. 
So when you look at the, the mechanism in terms of what are the essential ingredients that the cancer cells need to have, they have to have a way for this for our drug to get in. So one of the transporters, in this case, we talked about NRP1, it needs CD95, the receptor for us to hit, and then it needs high levels of histone H1 in the cytosol in order for it to form that complex. And what we know is each of those ingredients exists across uh, all the cancer types that we've looked at. And so there's like, of course, there's going to be certain cancers that it doesn't, um, but for what we've tested so far, those ingredients seem to be preserved across all the cancer types. So in your work trying to, you know, gear up for clinical trials, um, can you just describe your plans and like what you're expecting to see later this year, next year, in the next few years? Yeah, sure. So we are are, are planning to initially uh, test in um, three tumor types. So um, we're going to go into head and neck uh, cancer, triple negative breast cancer, and then um, what's the last one? I'm it's a cutaneous skin, yeah, yeah, skin cancer. And so those will be started in, um, in probably the second quarter of next year. So most of this year is focused on bringing N17350 uh, through the manufacturing process to make enough drug to finalize the toxicity studies, interactions with the FDA, and then to interact with the uh, the doctors that will be um, conducting the phase one studies for the company. Has the FDA shared any like feedback to you guys that has been um, helpful or maybe forced you to pivot in any way? No, I think it was, you know, the good part about it is there's enough data there from a safety side. So most of our interactions have been around to confirm what we have planned is acceptable to the FDA. And so the FDA is not going to say yes, before we submit our documents that is exactly, but they were supportive in general of what we had planned. And then we expect when we when we file the, uh, the official documentation, we'll get official support, but nothing that made us change the manufacturing or change our approach or change our tumor types. Um, uh, going forward. So, so far, so good. How has this research been funded so far? Uh, one, well, it's all been through. So since it moved into the company, the company was was founded several years ago and it was funded by uh, a venture capital firm that I'm a partner at called Liz Capital, University of Chicago, and then a number of other small investors have have supported the uh, the initial financing, which was about $12 million into the company. So we spent, you know, from the time, uh, you know, a little before the publication of the cell paper, developed proprietary molecules, and then have them now ready for moving into the clinic next year for, for less than $9 million. So That's it's been awesome. quite efficient, been quite yeah. efficient. How are you seeking, or how are you seeing the funding biotech, sorry, how are you seeing the biotech funding landscape and has it affected the way you're seeking your next round of funding? And I know you're an investor, so you probably have a good insight into this. Yeah, no, it's, I'll be honest, Literally in the last couple months, it seems like it's turned. I think like our firm and others, we've spent a lot of time focused on our current portfolio to get them organized, including Onkilles. Uh, but Onkilles is on plan in terms of when it was going to raise uh, additional funds. So we had funded the company through, so it has more than enough money to get through this year and early part of next year. And so the timing, I think, is right because it also fits with the kind of data that we're going to present but there is, uh, I think the funding environment is is certainly very positive um, if it fits the uh, if it fits the certain themes that people are after. And we were just uh, one of our uh, Peter, actually, Peter Havertz, who's our VP of corporate development, was at ASCO uh, this year in Chicago. And it's be become very clear that 
having molecules that are able to fit these three ideal criteria are of interest in, uh, in cancer uh, versus immuno-oncology or some other precision medicine approach. I think the Achilles uh, story is, is hitting well with, with new investors. And so we'll spend part of this time uh, to do the next round of financing, which would support us getting to a human proof of concept set of data uh, in our phase one study. Very interesting. So at Vibio, we focus on helping you know, early stage biotech companies um, sort of overcome that next inflection point so that they are able to fund or receive funding for their next uh, milestones, let's say. So mm -hmm. in this case, like, what would you say is your next major inflection point? I'm going to guess and say it's the clinical trials, but is there more granularity around that that you want to share? Yeah, I think for us, I mean, you think about the risks for an oncology drug or a biologic like ours, one is manufacturing, is showing that we can make the drug at uh, reasonable yields, uh, which for Achilles, we believe we can. And then secondarily is safety, is doing the GLP talk studies in, in the relevant species, showing that the, that the drug is, is safe and you've got enough of a window between efficacy and safety to be able to treat patients. So I think for this stage, when you're just about ready to go to the clinic, those are always the two primary. We have more than enough efficacy in the preclinical models, but I think for Achilles, that represents um, the the biggest source of, of focus for, for an investor from a risk side. Very interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. When do you expect the next influx of capital and how much are you expecting uh, to be brought in? Yeah, so we're raising uh, the next round will be thirty million dollars, so thirty to thirty-five million dollars. Uh, the expectation that we would close sometimes in in the August timeframe, and okay. so that would allow us to essentially go full speed ahead on the manufacturing side. As everybody out there knows, when you're developing a biologic versus a small molecule, a biologic manufacturing process is extremely expensive, and so that will kick off the manufacturing process run the GLP talk studies, and then, of course, fund the phase one studies early part of next year. So we will have, there'll be that money will support through data readout uh, for the first phase one study and also bring our second program um, to uh, phase one readiness. And so at that point, coming out of, out of uh, the, this uh, round of financing, the company will be in a very good position from a, from a pipeline perspective, assuming everything works well. <laughs> right, yeah. definitely. And that's yeah. that's really exciting. It sounds like you have a really um, eventful year ahead of you guys and also next year too. So we wish you by bio, the team community, hopefully, you know, wish you the best of luck so that we can, you know, as a society get better treatments. So really fortunate to have people like you working on this sort of um, research. Uh, right. Final question, and then we can kind of wrap up here. What are some of the main challenges that you need to overcome? And you kind of discussed some, but are there any business challenges that are also um, top of mind for you? I think, you know, it's always, and then Lev can do it from the research side. I think, you know, what we're always uh, figuring out, and there's a little bit of time coming out of the pandemic, it might be very specific to this time frame. It's really from the talent side. It's really from getting the right team members, because, you know, this is a, it's not a wild idea, but it's certainly not very straightforward in the sense that I've got a target, I want to make a small molecule, and then we're going to run the study. This is you have to kind of now there's other papers that are coming out that are validating Lev's original work, but you have to find talent that says, look, if we get this to work, it's going to be amazing. And you really need to find team members that kind of buy into that and want to show up every single day in the lab and really go after it. And we've had to kind of go through a transition period from a talent side to figure out what's the right mix uh, in terms of, of being able to get that done. We're at that point now. 
But I can tell you two years ago, as we were going through recruiting and so on, that was one of our, our bigger challenges. I think we knew what we had to do. Big Pharma had made it very clear to us what kinds of experiments they wanted us to run, what kind of data is of most value. But I think talent was, was the area for me as the executive chair, um, the most challenging in terms of getting the right composition of, of team members. Lev, what do you think from the research side, other than it's always, it's biology, and it's always difficult. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously, you know, uh, it, the, the more successful you are on the research side, the easier it is for people to be motivated. Uh, and, uh, you know, we recently shared some data at the AACR on, on, on Achilles had a poster there. And you know, some of the data that was shared was was pretty remarkable, um, at least in terms of, you know, what I've seen um, as, as anti-cancer agents where, you know, one injection, 24 hours later, the tumor is completely gone. And, you know, and that also left mice with durable memory that they would resist getting that same cancer 90, even 150 days post-challenge. And so, uh, you know, that type of efficacy is really exciting. And I think, you know, people that work at the company uh, can kind of rally around that. And, and, you know, it's always exciting to work on things that are, are working and, and working very well. So that's fantastic. Thank you both for that. Um, so again, I just want to thank you both for being on the show and sharing a little bit about Achilles and the progress you guys have made so far. Uh, this is your opportunity to kind of share anything else with the community whether that's maybe new openings for new positions in the lab or, or on the business side of things or anything else for others to kind of learn more about you or how they can find out about you. Yeah, just as a matter of trivia, so maybe it's obvious to the audience, we named the company on Achilles and there's a good slack going back and forth between Lev and I many years back when we started the company, but it's called on Achilles because we believe Lev discovered the Achilles heel of oncology, which was this Elaine-mediated uh, pathway um, we do have open scientists and, and senior research associate positions um, at the company as we kind of move the programs forward. And once we close this next financing, we'll also be um, hiring other positions to to kind of uh, blend things out. So you can certainly find all of those posted at onkillespharma.com uh, if there's interest for, for that. We're based in San Diego. Uh, we have a full lab, off space, vivarium, and so on, and kind of state-of-the-art lab space in, in San Diego. Lev, anything else you might want to comment? I mean, as this has been your life for, for a long time. <laughs> no, the only thing I want to say is that, you know, that it took us a long time to come up with that name. Yeah. Uh, it was not <laughs> great name. It, it took us a very long time to get there. And I, I can't even remember some of the bad ideas we had yeah. along the way for yeah. But we right. had a lot of bad ideas. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's true. That is yeah. very true. And I'm sure for many, you know, cancer patients out there, they're hoping that this is the Achilles heel of cancer. So. As are um, we, yeah. A couple yeah. of things I actually wanted to point out quickly that I did see on your website about both of you, and I think the, the audience community might be interested is, uh, Dr. Pecker, you like to play poker. That's right. And oh, yeah. uh, Mr. Turner, you like, you could, you could dunk a basketball in high school. So you're probably six foot something, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm only 5'11". That's why it's interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you yeah. go. <laughs> cool. But yeah, basketball was, uh, was my obsession, yeah. So yeah, and Lev still gets to play poker, but he's got that mind. It's not fair. So he can, he used to be a chess champion. Now he's a poker champion. <laughs> yeah, awesome. it was a, a hobby I picked up over the years and I've, I've always enjoyed playing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I like to play once in a while too. Thanks both of you. I appreciate it. And uh, looking forward to hearing from the community. So if you're listening, watching, feel free to 
you know, leave some comments, like, share this, and, you know, let's uh, cure cancer together. Thank you. <laughs> right. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Ray.